I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. What's up, everyone? It is the morning of Tuesday, January 21st, 2020. Our second episode of the new year here on the Wong Takes. And we are going to talk about Championship Sunday this week because the Super Bowl is set Super Bowl 54 in Miami, San Francisco 49ers, and the Kansas City Chiefs. So let's learn uh, how we got there. On Championship Sunday, first game was Kansas City and San Francisco. Sorry, Kansas City and Tennessee. (laughs) Got a little ahead of myself there. And going into this game... I say it a lot. Uh, The story was, uh, were the Titans going to stay on schedule? Uh, Were they going to be able to engage Derrick Henry um, and allow him to have another big game while keeping Mahomes and company off the field? And they kind of did that to start. Uh, Getting out to a 10-0 and a 17-7 lead was a big part, was going to be a big part of how they were going to win. And I thought Kansas City wouldn't be able to get off to a slow start against a team like Tennessee. But, Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes, and I maybe didn't take that as much into account as I should have. And this game really turned at the end of the first half. When Patrick Mahomes broke off that touchdown run uh, that was magnificent and just demonstrated his agility um, and his skills and and all that he's been able to accomplish uh, over these last couple of years. And I think uh, one thing that separates Mahomes and the Chiefs from... The other team that was really hyped up from the AFC coming into these playoffs, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, were that um, Patrick Mahomes, since he's had another year to develop, I think in that time he's become more pass-first, as in he doesn't look to use his legs first, and it's not really his fault, it's just there aren't as many design runs for him, he just kind of uses his legs when he has to, Um, and and. That happens because he's become really comfortable as a passer. And I think when you have that mentality, it's a lot easier to kind of get out of a rut because you're not just, and and when you have the weapons, he does. Because, you know, you don't have to rely on just one facet to help you um, break out of a slump. You can use both. And then Tennessee, uh, it was really over at that point because we haven't had to see them play from behind yet, and when they were playing from behind, they couldn't run the ball very effectively, um, and you had to kind of rely on Ryan Tannehill for two out of two downs per uh, series. And Ryan Tannehill, you know, he's good in spurts. Uh, you can get decent throws out of him. He's it's not unlike Jimmy Garoppolo, where you don't. Uh, Jimmy's shown a little more this year, but you don't expect them to carry your offense. That's not really the system that they should be uh, built or that should be built around them. Um, and so I think once Derek, or once uh, the Chiefs defense, who's been playing exceptionally well this year, was able to zone in on Derek Henry and say, "Look, they're going to hand the ball off," uh, or they're 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 sorry, uh, they're not going to hand the ball off as much, and they were able to kind of play the pass, uh, it was a lot easier for them to defend this Titans team. And Derrick Henry, uh, as a result of game situations and everything, only had 19 carries for 69 yards, 
uh, in this game, so not nearly the type of game he had uh, in the last couple of weeks. And on the other side of the ball, I mean the Titans' defensive line, if they really want to make another push next year, uh, one, they're going to have to sort out their Tanny situation, but also uh, figure out that defensive line because they couldn't do anything. I mean, the Chiefs completed some deep passes, and the secondary got burned a few times, but I think overall, you know, they didn't have a horrible game. It was just if you give Mahomes that much time, um, and he starts completing some passes, and he starts to get in a rhythm. I mean, it's over, uh, just because it, that offense is so strong that once you open the floodgates, it's it's gone. It's gone. Now Kansas City. Now let's do a little memorial on Tennessee. I mean, I, I don't think going into the playoffs they had to wait until the last week of the season to even make the playoffs in the first place, and now coming in, getting all the way to the AFC Championship. Obviously, they overperformed. Um, and took out two of the favorites in the AFC. Um, but it's it's going to be some Mike Vrabel and company, and particularly Derrick Henry now that, I mean, people have been uh, aware of him beforehand, but teams seeing his potential are really going to be game planning around him. And the question is, can they avoid, or can they make this, uh, you know, a long-term solution? Uh, can they turn Ryan Tannehill... Uh, at his age now, into a franchise quarterback. And what are they going to do with Marcus Mariota? Uh, so there's a lot of questions to be answered, and I don't have those answers right now. Um, but Derrick Henry is clearly going to be the piece they're going to want to build around. Uh, so I'm kind of curious to see what they can do uh, from that perspective. The second game of Championship Sunday, the afternoon game, the local hour, Still, this late in the year, the Niners and the Packers. Niners defeated the Packers 37-20. to And like I said about the Titans wanting to be on schedule, the Niners were on schedule this entire game. This was another, after the dominating win against the Vikings, another near-perfect game for San Francisco. Um, because their game plan, first and foremost, is to run the football. And they did that to perfection. Raheem Mostert had a career game in this one. Four touchdowns, finding holes left and right. The line had a masterful game. Kyle Shanahan, I, I'm not too well-versed on these very specific uh, X's and O's of football, but that was a perfect game called by Kyle Shanahan and that crew uh, to build those holes, allow the Niners to run the ball at will. Look at the final stat line. Raheem Mostert, first of all, 29 carries. Uh, you know how Shani likes to ride the hot hand, but he did that uh, in this game immensely. 29 carries for 220 yards and four touchdowns. It's an average of over seven yards a carry. Wow. And four touchdowns, I mean, it just goes to show the emphasis that they placed on running the ball. It was just an amazing to see. Also, Jimmy Garoppolo only threw eight passes in this game. Now, at some level, you want him to throw uh, because you want him to stay game fresh. Um, but at the same time, uh, in a sport like football, fatigue is such a factor and usage is such a factor that if Jimmy were forced to drop back more, he probably would have been hit more, forced to run around more. Um, and I think... Overall, the less stress put on your quarterback, the better. Because, I mean, running backs are sort of built to handle this type of thing. Quarterbacks are not built to handle 
constant uh, contact. And uh, so I think it's good that Raheem Moster and the running back crew were able to get most of the touches in this game. On Green Bay's side of things, they just got punched in the mouth. Uh, it was over by the end of the first half. You could tell by the end of the first half they had started to unravel. I mean, when it was 20 nothing, you're like, okay, so they have the ball. If they can go get a score, double up at the start of the second half, maybe make it a 10-point game or even a 6-point game, you know, this game's far from over. But once Aaron Rodgers threw that pick, the Niners went down the field, scored, it was over by that point because... The Niners know how to run the ball, and I kept, even as the Packers were, you know, scoring touchdowns in the second half, I was just like, you know, as long as the Niners keep keep with the game plan, uh, keep with the run game and control the clock, you know, they've run the ball well enough, they'll be fine. And I was right, um, because they just grinded out drives, and even if the pa- the Packers scored on consecutive possessions, it didn't matter, um, because the Niners were just using up so much clock um, and energy in that in those times, in their drives, uh, that there was really nothing Green Bay could do uh, to make a, make a significant attempt at a comeback in this game. Now the Niners, uh, as well, let's talk about the Packers first. The Packers, they went 13-3 and this year, um, but I think the, the analytics people did not like Green Bay, uh, and a lot of the time, they didn't look like a contender. You know, they didn't look consistent enough uh, to be a contender. They won a lot of close games in sort of fluky ways. Um, you could say that about the Niners, but I think Green, uh, the Niners had a more solid defensive foundation, and Green Bay did not. And also, just Aaron, the team built was built around Aaron Rodgers, and the team was kind of going to go where he was, and he didn't have... Uh, as big of a year this year. I mean, especially in this game, too, you saw he made a lot of mistakes. You know, fumbles, interceptions. And so, if they were going to need Aaron Rodgers to play perfectly. And I think that's the issue with Green Bay uh, right now, is that they're built so much around Aaron Rodgers that he could have, you know, a comeback phenomenal year and lead them to another Super Bowl. But that's totally... Uh, a re- within the realm of possibility. I mean, it nearly happened to some extent this year. But if you if he has a, a bad year, you know, um, you could end up missing the playoffs like they did the two years prior to this. And Matt LaFleur did a great job as coach this year of managing that. Um, but ultimately, it, it kind of landed Green Bay back where they were uh, a few years ago. And that's not really his fault. Um, but I think they still need more pieces. Um, having a fully healthy Devontae Adams will be huge, but nevertheless, I think that's where the state of the Packers is right now. The Niners, meanwhile, uh, with this year that they've had, going 13-3 and and just running uh, rupshod through the NFC, winning the two games by a combined 34 points, I think this gives really gives hope, and we're seeing this a lot in sports in recent years is they're giving a lot of hope to the teams that think they're one year away. Um, You know, the teams that have stockpiled uh, draft picks and have made some interesting signings, the Niners getting, you know, Richard Sherman and Quan Alexander um, and Emmanuel Sanders, you know, teams that acquire all these and are just kind of waiting for results. I mean, the Niners, we thought they had a good chance uh, at making some noise last year, went 4-12 a lot, uh, mostly because of Jimmy G's injury. 
Um, although even even this year, you're not really sure about that because of how good the running game's been. But if you if all the teams that think, you know that we've got the pieces, um, and even Tennessee, a team like that, that we're just one year away, it shows that with the right leadership um, and development. And that's why I'm worried about teams like Washington that might never get off the ground because you need guys at the top uh, that can manage uh, personalities and manage uh, rosters. Um, The Niners have found gold with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. But if you're a team that is in that situation, you know there's hope um, because the Niners, after going 4-12, much was made about that one analyst that predicted them to go 3-13 this year. I mean, that's the Niners represent what the culmination of that can be, regardless of what happens uh, in the Super Bowl, just because of what they've been able to do uh, to this conference. Now, I'm going to save our Super Bowl preview uh, for next week. But I'm going to talk a little bit because we're, we're, we're a little low on time right now. I'm going to talk a little bit about Golden State and the Warriors who, after making the NBA Finals for the last five years, are sitting currently at 10 and 35. Uh, Golden State with Steph Curry out until March, Clay Thompson out for the year, uh, and also... Um, Kevon Looney hurt as well, and I don't. I I actually like what the Warriors are doing this year. Um, not that not to say that I like losing per se, but when you've got a situation like this, right away you are going to know within the first couple of weeks what your situation was going to be. Were you going to be able to contend, uh, or were you going to be uh, just sort of hanging at the bottom? And we got an answer to that pretty quickly, is that they were going to hang at the bottom. And so once we kind of knew that, they effectively entered a tanking situation. And they've gotten to 10 and 35. Now they're doing it well. They're, I think, seven games <clears throat> seven games clear of the bottom in the West. But what, what you like about this Warrior team is that the energy is still there. You know, Chase Center is not as loud as Oracle used to be, and it's obviously not as loud because the Warriors aren't as good. But it's still fun. Uh, You know, the crowd seems to be energetic. There seems to be a lot of juice in the building. And the team's playing hard, and that's really all you can ask for. And I think if you take a look at some of the things that have happened this year, got guys like Damian Lee and Marquise Chris um, already being signed to deals. You know, I think that already makes this year a success because the problem for the Warriors last year was when you're constantly winning and experiencing success, you don't have that much chance uh, of a chance to figure out some of the flaws in your team. And for the Warriors, that flaw, particularly last year, got exposed, was the bench. And so now getting able to ride those bench players all year and find out which of those you can rely on in future years once Steph and Clay come back uh, is was going to be the mission this year. And now that you've found a couple of players you know that you can kind of trust uh, to score consistently, um, and you keep and D'Lo has had a great year as well, D'Angelo Russell. 
And so I think those players combined are already enough to make this year worthwhile. Now, you know, the Warriors, even they're they're tanking, you know, you still only have, what, a 14% chance at getting the number one pick, even if you're the worst team in the league. So, and, and, and so it's really, that's why tanking shouldn't be the primary goal. Now, that being said, the Warriors keep losing in close games, which is kind of the best of both worlds. I mean, it's entertaining for the fans, but also you you keep that that uh, yourself low in the standings. But, you know, tanking shouldn't be the primary goal still. It should be the development of players. Um, and I think Steve Kerr and, and the team have, have handled that really well. And the league's really fun this year um, because you've got no dominant team. And even if the Warriors were at full strength, they weren't going to be dominant this year just because of the talent that's been dispersed around the league. Um, but, you know, I think I, I like what the Warriors have been doing this year. I think they're headed in the right direction as an organization. Um, and I'm really, really excited to, to see what happens next year. So, quick take. Uh, Nolan Arenado wants out of Colorado. And uh, there's a couple of I have a couple of initial reactions to this. One of them is as a Giants fan. You know, as a Giants fan, I'd be more than happy to see him get out of the West. Uh, I mean, he's tortured us uh, for years. And he's just a power hitter that has all the tools. He's a phenomenal third baseman. Uh, and it's been really fun to watch him, even if it's been frustrating. But as a baseball fan... Uh, it's it is definitely very uh, sad to watch because you've got Nolan Arenado, who is a bona fide superstar, uh, been with this Colorado team, I think, since he was a rookie, and it's been frustrating to see how they've not been able to put a good team around him. I mean, Colorado, what's the best they've done? Gotten a wild card game, maybe they got into a division series. Um, but given this generational talent, it's almost sort of reminiscent of now they're not the same level of player, but the Mike Trout situation where you've got this star in a small market, so maybe he's not getting as much attention um, as you know a, a Yankee or a Dodger might, but still, uh, his stats are phenomenal, his advanced stats are phenomenal. And yet the Rockies only went 71-91 and 91 last year and kind of fell off the map midway through the season. And so, I mean, I don't blame Arenado for wanting to get out. And we'll see players... I'm, Mike Trout obviously signed the big deal, and so he's locked into L.A. for the next decade. Um, but, you know, guys like Bryce Harper going, if now Arenado goes... You know, a lot of these in the modern era, and I know, you know... This has been pretty clear for a while, but superstars don't really have the patience maybe that they used to, and they're going to want to go to contenders. Um, and that just puts all the more pressure on these small market teams to try to uh, work, appease their superstars early. And that might not be good necessarily for the health of the league because, you know, they are small market teams for a reason. They can't maybe afford some of these things that the bigger market teams can, but it is still the direction of the league, um, and the Rockies are going to have to understand that. Thanks so much for listening to The Wong Takes. Uh, it's my first podcast from school of the year, so that's fun. Um, but we will be back next week uh, to talk a uh, preview of the Super Bowl, uh, 
in two weeks, or, or that which will be in two weeks. And I'm very excited as a Niner fan and as a football fan. Uh, it's just a, a phenomenal matchup. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. As always, to the podcast, I want to get 20 minutes. I will, and I will see you all next week.